for all mankind podcast i'm your host neek yeager and we've got a full house today with me are rick hi bob scott hi bob tom hi bob and back by popular demand virginia (laughs) hi bob i don't know about popular demand but okay (laughs) by by my demand (laughs) (laughs) i'm pretty cool with it Today, we're discussing the seventh episode of season four, and I have things to say about this one, so buckle up. (laughs) As usual, I'll start with my synopsis, and then we'll move on to the discussion. Uh, Before we get on to the show, just a reminder that there's still time to enter the holiday giveaway. You could win nine For All Mankind mission patches. Just give this podcast a five-star rating on your pod platform of choice, then head on over to facebook.com slash superanemic and write your name in the comments for the post about episode 22 of Moon Show. And maybe also write which pod platform you put your rating on so as to avoid confusion on my part. And um, by the way, if you want to know what the patches look like, you can see them in the comments for the post about episode 22. And if you're not a Facebook user, you can go to superanemic.com and write your name in the comments for any Moon Show post. Okay, on to episode seven, the gaping plot hole. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we're on day seven of the Helios worker strike, and Massey is trying to argue her points in good faith, but she's undermined, as expected, by Ed, who just wants to poop all over Danielle. And she rightly points out his hypocrisy. But she's also not bringing much to the table, so they're at an impasse. The non-strikers, so that is to say the top brass of Helios, as well as uh, the NASA, Roscosmos, and the other M7 scientists, they try to come up with ideas on how to become scabs themselves and do the work the Lower Deckers are refusing to do. The Lower Deckers have either ejected or destroyed all the spacesuits, so the scabs have no way of getting to the part of the base they need to access to do the thing. So they come up with the idea of draining the underground aqueducts and crawling their way to the base to do the thing. And this takes a long time and is strenuous and difficult. Again, this takes a long time and is strenuous and difficult. (laughs) Palmer and the other scabs discovered that a crucial piece of equipment is missing. One of the lower deckers swiped it so work couldn't resume. So the scabs MacGyver a bypass, but it blows up in their faces. Literally, some are dead and others are gravely injured, including Palmer. And yet somehow they all teleport back to sickbay for treatment. (laughs) Meanwhile, Margot has been called upon by Roscosmos to go to NASA to finalize negotiations for doing the Goldilocks stuff. She refuses to go, but you don't refuse, Irina. You do what you're told. Margot's assured she'll have diplomatic immunity and won't be arrested when she lands on American soil. The news of Margot's arrival is dropped on Aleda while she's being interviewed on Fox News. Ah, uh, I mean, Eagle News. She reacts as expected, losing her shit on air and cussing out the interviewer. She then doubles down 
on her elatedness and storms into Eli's office and demands that Margot not be allowed to arrive. And if she does arrive, Aleda will refuse to work with her. Eli's like, whatever, can you stop getting your elatedness all over my office? <laughs> Eli then has a meeting with some government guy who informs him that the Americans actually have a CIA agent undercover on Happy Valley. And he could join forces with the undercover KGB dudes to fight the strikers. Eli sees this as going overboard, but he does agree to give astronauts with a military past the right to start acting as enforcers. And they, rather violently, search the quarters of the lower deckers looking for the stolen parts that caused the explosion. And the strikers are now being accused of terrorism. Meanwhile, Dev has finally arrived at Happy Valley, looking surprisingly zen. Danielle tries to talk to him about the current situation, but he's extremely dismissive. Kelly and Alex also arrive, and Ed gets his Edness all over Alex, treating him the way he used to treat Shane. To her credit, Kelly calls him out on this behavior. He admits that he joined the Strikers because he envisions Mars as being a thriving colony, not just a science station, which would be fine by Kelly. Dev addresses the Strikers, and in an admittedly compelling speech, tells them that they can never get all their demands met because the M7 nations simply will not allow Goldilocks to remain at Mars. And that was one of the striker's demands, that the asteroid stay at Mars so that they can do the work. And Dev says that this just is not financially viable for the M7 nations. But Dev does offer the strikers increased safety, increased pensions, a better health plan, a big enough payday bonus to make them millionaires, and most crucially, amnesty for any perceived terrorist activity. Everyone except for Massey, Ed, and a couple red shirts agree to these terms. <laughs> Dev later goes to see Ed and admits that his real motivation in that negotiation was to assess who is dedicated to Mars itself. He, like Ed, wants to establish a thriving colony there and stay for the rest of his life. And his plan to make this happen is to steal the asteroid. So stay tuned for next week to see what that means exactly. Okay. On to the discussion, and we've got to start with the plot hole that I just could not get past. Uh, they went to so much trouble to illustrate how difficult and time-consuming it was to get to the wheels and cogs part of the base, and then they don't even bother mentioning how the injured got back to sickbay. So how did they get back there? Did someone go get them? Did the strikers like have a spacesuit hidden somewhere, and then they drove it? in a rover or did someone carry them back through the tunnels? Did they crawl themselves even though they were dying? It's not acceptable for the show not to answer these questions because the answer to how they got back affects how I feel about the strikers. Like, did they, as soon as the explosion happened, were they, you know, feeling bad and then offered to help or were they forced to help or did they not help? This matters. And so for the show to not answer that question is not acceptable. And I know John will say, oh, I have headcanon. Yeah, I have headcanon too. I shouldn't have to headcanon this issue because it's important. So, so how do you feel about it, Neek? <laughs> As, frankly, the first, the first bit that I couldn't get past was that they survived the explosion. Like, yes, how did that happen? Regardless of who was the rescue team, like, those people had to have their own suits. They had to be able to get over there. Like they had to be able to find the people. And I'm presuming like there's an explosion. All the oxygen is gone. Like how did they survive? How were they? 
I have so many questions, not yes. even just about who did it, but how, how it was done because yes. it doesn't make any sense. But Correct. yes, I totally see your, because yeah, if the strikers were like, let's hop to and like, make sure we rescue these people. I'm much more like pro striker than I am. If they were just like, fuck these guys, I don't really care. Well then like, what are you here? What, what is this about? Exactly. Because the way the show was shot, like right after the explosion, you they show the strikers seemingly ignorant to it or again there, there's no scene of them reacting to it so one assumes that they didn't react to it and so and then exactly that makes them not sympathetic so they seem surprised that that one man had died so i feel like they didn't know about either the the incident itself or the severity of the incident which makes it all the more egregious and which mm -hmm. makes it all the more unbelievable that they were rescued so quickly unless they were not rescued quickly unless palmer and the others were dying there for hours upon hours and that makes no sense like you said virginia the fact that they even survived that explosion makes absolutely no sense at all if we were to see the explosion the way we did from the exterior and the size of it yeah the 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 chances of the room that they were in still having atmosphere seems seems very small the the whole thing screams to me deleted scene mm. or in the words of of the pitch meeting guy by being off screen for a minute it's gonna be super easy barely an inconvenience that's how the whole that thing was, was done. very poor poor choice on editing then very poor choice well that's it it's just it's a poor choice all around and I'm like, I'm genuinely upset about it because I, I've said it before, you know, this is not a Saturday morning cartoon. This is a show that I hold to a higher standard. And these kinds of egregious plot holes are not okay. Like it makes me hate this freaking show. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I genuinely hated this episode. <gasps> oh, okay. Goodness. Well, yeah. And it's, I mean, there's, there's head scratchers from the get go. Like why are the strikers yelling at Danielle about Helios's pay scale? Yes, exactly. That's exactly my next point, Rick. You so often read my mind. You're always bringing up the questions I'm just about to ask. I was going to say like, is there someone on this panel who understands strikes better than I do and can explain why Danielle is even at the negotiation table? Like I understand that she's in charge of Happy Valley. So she can affect things like, um, you know, worker safety, but she has no power to change the salaries or the, no the pensions. She, yeah. she can't do anything for the Helios workers because she doesn't work for Helios. Mm -hmm. There are various things about this episode that just didn't add up. It, it was not a well thought out episode in, in so many no. ways. Uh, last week, Rick, you mentioned that a lot of characters were acting out of character. I feel like this week, that's Danielle. Danielle is usually awesome. And mm -hmm. even though she doesn't work for Helios, you know, she it does make sense for her to be there as the commander of Happy Valley. And, you know, she can do some stuff for them. Like I said, uh, worker safety being one. But I felt like she was oddly unsympathetic this episode. I mean, I understand that she was upset with Ed. And so that's why she, you know, had such a, a bee in her bonnet. But I feel like she should have been more sympathetic. And although, again, and now I'm going to I'm going to switch points of view again, because later on when she talks to Dev, you know, she she tells him that, you know, 
or she implies, I don't remember the scene exactly, but she starts out in her conversation with Dev sort of being on the side of the strikers, implying that they have legitimate grievances and sort of giving him shit for not getting there earlier or not addressing issues earlier. And then she gets really snarky with Dev, but only after he's dismissive of her position. So I I guess I'll give Danielle some leeway there. I think Danielle was the only one playing that scene as if it was day seven. I think she was like, she probably went in going, now look, we can't, you know, this is the one thing I wish she had said for the, that would have taken the curse off that whole negotiation scene was if she said, look, I don't have any control over what Helios pays you, but you know, we need to get this job done. We need you to get this job done. And maybe that was day one for, for Danielle and day two and day three. And now they've just ground her down to where she's like, just fucking do it. But, but again, headcanon. We shouldn't have to headcanon this stuff. Right. Okay, so the other thing I didn't understand in the whole strike was why the strikers were so adamant about keeping Goldilocks at Mars. Because it's not like any of these workers are chained to this particular planet. It's not like they like living there. So why not just follow the asteroid back to Earth? They'll still be working for Helios regardless of where they do that work. So instead of demanding that the asteroids stay at Mars, why not just demand that they all as individuals get to go to the moon or whatever space station where the work will be done? My thought on that was their employment is a limited resource on Mars. If they go to the moon or back to Earth, there will be a lot more people in the in the job pool And maybe they won't have that guaranteed spot that's going to make them a lot of money. Right. I totally understand that. So that's why I said, instead of making your demand, keep the asteroid here, which is a thing we know cannot happen. Just make your demand. Let us, us 100 people or however many there are of them, let us be in on this. Give us, us 100 people, the guarantee that we will get to do this work. Not Even the people that are already on the moon, not the people that are on space stations, not the people Earth side. We get the job. Or but can yeah, their right. can their contract be trusted though? We're already having this issue with the contract. Well, if they say, Oh, sure, well, you one hundred people can work on it and then backtrack on it and then they're screwed. Yes, you know. Absolutely. But the show has already established that they are understaffed in terms of miners for this asteroid because this asteroid is that big of a deal. So even though Ah. there's thousands of miners on Earth or the moon or whatever, that's not going to impact these individual workers. They could still use more manpower. We've already established they need more manpower. So it doesn't make sense. I think this is a good time to just jump in and just make it clear to the listeners that Neek is not upset with Virginia. <laughs> oh, no. Neek, totally. Neek is upset yeah. with this show. I'm upset I with feel like show. Neek and I are on the same wavelength. We're just bouncing. We're just bouncing things back and forth because we haven't we haven't talked to Moon Show in a while. I've had a lot of schedule conflicts. <laughs> it's funny. Just yesterday, I was having a conversation with someone and it got sort of heated even though I was playing devil's advocate the whole time, I didn't actually believe what I was advocating for. I can't even remember what the conversation was about. No, I do remember it was about um, movie, like our movies today, the worst thing that ever existed. Anyway. um, (laughs) And so at a certain point I had to stop and say like, Oh, I understand that I'm coming across as really aggressive, but I don't actually feel this way. So 
let it so be you known. don't actually feel like the mcu is the height of cinematic brilliance <laughs> and artistic integrity exactly okay so let it be known this is just the way i talk <laughs> <laughs> So I'm not upset with Virginia, but I am upset with Moonshow. We've been trying to avoid. (laughs) Well, we've been trying to avoid the term bad writing all this season. And I think I'm I'm sorry. I'm not going to apologize for you. This badly. This was a badly written episode. Yeah. They were trying to shoehorn a topic in, I think. We've been seeing this impending union and strike episode, uh, you know, amongst the, the panel here. We've seen it coming. We've been hoping that it wasn't going to go there. Sure enough, they managed to do it. So it really feels like they were really trying to push this topic, this storyline in. And it just, there wasn't an easy way to do it. I feel like if it was like, maybe it should have been its own epic, like the strike should have been its own episode. Like, you know how earlier seasons, like the hotel, the space hotel was like one episode. We didn't really see anything about anything happening on earth. It was just the space hotel. And like maybe the strike, since it's such a big issue with this asteroid that's very important, maybe it should have just been a strike asteroid episode or whatever, you know? I see what you're saying. Yeah, because you're right. It is such a big issue and they are trying to say things with it. It's just being done in such a clunky way. There was one good thing about this episode. No Miles. Yeah, Miles didn't say a goddamn thing. <laughs> yeah, it's worth noting. Oh, Miles. It's kind of interesting that, like, even though this is the episode I hated the most, it didn't have the character I hate the most. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was there. He just didn't say anything. Well, yeah, he was there for two seconds. We see yeah. his face and he doesn't say anything. And you just see him exchange a glance with uh, Ilya. And I I do find it interesting. I didn't catch this when I was watching, but I'm realizing it now. With Miles being his second build on the cast list, but we have no idea if he went, if if he crossed the sugar line. We, we I don't know where he is now. Yeah, he just like, disappeared. Yeah, that's it. I think the implicate because we didn't see him cross the line, we have to assume he wasn't even there, right? Uh, like he was he, because no, it, I, I thought think, that's where the one scene that we saw him in. I thought no, yeah, that was, was earlier in the episode. That was before Dev arrived. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, okay. So yep. he was it, he was not in that I don't know cargo bay or whatever it was when Dev arrived. At least not and that we it, know. It, we we didn't. Yeah, see exactly. Him. Maybe he was, and we just didn't see him. If he was there, then he did cross the line. And if he was not there, then I guess he's not going to get that whatever bonus that the people who crossed the line did get. I don't know. Uh, but before okay, whew, before we move on from my <laughs> nitpicks. <laughs> This isn't actually really a nitpick. It's just, uh, I don't know, since I'm, you know, ranting about all the things that sort of didn't make sense, I'll just say that I, I also didn't like how Kelly was portrayed. She's a part owner of Helios, right? Like she's a Helios bigwig. So even though she's a scientist and perhaps doesn't understand the Lower Decker's grievances, she's always been presented as an empathetic person. So I don't buy that she wouldn't give a shit about them and that she would allow their contracts to be rewritten, to be even more exploitative than they originally were before she was at Helios. Because like we know they got a, they had a crappy deal from the start and that had nothing to do with her. But when she joined them and I mean, surely she would have heard on Earth about the the workers being upset, like even before the strike, she would have known that they were upset about this contract. So like did this contract 
you know, when it became even worse, did that happen behind her back? But like, I don't feel like she'd be that ignorant either. And so her just saying like, you know, criticizing Ed for joining the strikers and saying, you're being myopic. And like, this should be a science station. Even if she genuinely believes that, yes, it should just be a science station. That's fine. But for her to be so dismissive of the strikers, that seemed out of character for me. I agree. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, diving into headcanon because they didn't they didn't give it to us. I'm my I, I didn't really have an assumption that didn't occur to me. But now that you mention it, maybe, you know, she was given an almost impossible timetable to get her team ready to go to Mars. She may have just been so focused on that that she really doesn't know what's going on. That's fair. Yeah, you're yeah. right. She was yeah. under duress. It's a it's a, a few months to Mars or whatever now. Is, or is it just one month? To 30 get to days. Mars? 30 days. Like just a little light reading the, you know, Helios contract. But she was but... she was also to be training her people on the way. Oh, right. That's I forgot true. about that. Yeah. Okay. And, and even before she may have been that. like, I don't I'm not bothered with the administrative stuff. Let Alayda deal with that. I'm I'm a scientist. She's I'm doing science. That. Yeah. yeah. Also, Which also brings I'm, up the I'm question sure we'll to how awful Ed is, but he was just totally shitting on McMurdo right in front of her. And that really irritated me anyway. Oh, yeah. So unlike Ed to be a total dick. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Asshole. Anyway, I'm sorry, Scott. Please continue. It, the question this uh, conversation is making me think of is why we're asking wouldn't Kelly know more about the situation with the strikers and wouldn't she be more involved? But I think it'd be more appropriate to say, wouldn't Aleda know more about it? And wouldn't she be even more involved than we would expect Kelly to be? Kelly is the science side of Helios. Aleda is the administrative side of Helios. And then Dev is the one that sits on top and says, but these are my toys, so I'm going to do what I want. Aleda is in, I would think that she is in a position to, to try to do something about this. And yeah, she's quite busy uh, dealing with the whole, uh, you know, designing the the capture program and trying to decide if she's going to work with Margot and, you know, swearing on Fat Eagle News. <laughs> she's got a lot of stuff going on, but to be completely disconnected from from the story of strikers that work for her, it, it's, it seems odd. A- again, it, it feels like this episode when they say, okay, the strike has begun, we're going to dig into this strike. And it was very quickly thrown together script wise and then they just kind of plastered over it and said this 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 looks smooth right which is testing 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 we hear you better better yeah yeah great uh let's let's leave kelly alone (laughs) 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 kelly is not the problem or even a problem in this episode i can put like Yes, she's a scientist. It's not her bag. She wouldn't. She might be aware of it, but as we know from the way Dev came in and just you know <laughs> uses a big swing and dick to knock all the chess pieces off the board, I'm sure the contract is written so that he handles all that stuff. I don't know if she has. Even if she wanted to do anything, I don't know if she has any power to do anything. And she's not going to so much care about. She doesn't want to do it, so like she's not going to. Well, they're my contract. It doesn't say that I have negotiating power during strike negotiations. She, she won't care. She wasn't want that. It is entirely possible that Kelly just doesn't have any say whatsoever in this capacity at Helios, even though she is a major shareholder. I think she might still have like a, like, a, like a moral argument, though, whether or not she has bargaining. But like, I would expect her to like 
fight for the underdog or whatever, you know, like I get that vibe from her, but I see what you're saying. Yeah. And maybe I mean, even if will. you would, yeah, yeah, that's not like she, I could also see her not having the, she, she has enough big changes and like she's trying to deal with. She trusts that the strike will, yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't have an issue with Kelly not jumping into this fray. Do you have an issue with uh, Aleda not caring? No, because I mean, well, no, I don't have an issue with the character of Aleda doing what I expect the character of Aleda to do, which is focus on her own issues, which is Margot showing up. Yeah, yeah. I no. That's right. It, it, it is Again, very I can see how her uh, preoccupation with Margot might uh, distract her from from strike talk. Yeah. But, mm. I, yeah, I, I thought I liked this episode more. And it's, it's not like I, I think I'd like the other episodes a lot less. So this one seemed better by comparison. Not all the other episodes, but the more recent episodes. But it is a, and I remember I actually wound this to, to watch it is a glaring omission that we don't see if Miles crossed the line or not, because, mm. because it's like, it's like, you know, other randos, whatever, even Ilya, they go, whatever. I would expect him to cross it because he wants money, whatever. Yeah. But Miles as a character, they've gone out of their way to establish this guy is opportunistic. He's about the money, but he also can see bigger picture. So he, so he could have gone either way. I could absolutely see Miles making that decision to stay on one side of the line or the other. Either way, I could justify it as part of his character. And the fact that they didn't show us is a failing. There's no reason not to. Because clearly he did one or the other. And there's no reason for us to not see which one he did, even if they don't explain it right now. I, I don't know that Miles was actually present for that crossing the line or not. I think he's kind of pulled himself out by getting, you know, by getting uh, as head of that whole black market, he's kind of separated himself from the rest of the Helios workers. But in doing no, but that, he... no, he still, he, he didn't, he still got to be there for the, under the offices of a Helios worker. Like even running the black market, he can't just, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't have a real job for real. Like it's a black market. Like that's only works because he works for Helios. And with Helios workers Thanks. on strike, the black market has come to a halt because the people who would have unloaded the, the contraband aren't doing anything. They're not unloading yeah. anything. So his black market business is on hold because of the strike. Even if he pulled himself out of the meeting and didn't pick Dev's side or, or Massey's side, the fact that the show didn't show us that is yeah, also a, a hold. It doesn't make sense that they devoted so much time this season to establishing this character both in terms of who they are and what they do and just screen time of this is someone that you know the show's going to pay attention to and not have him choose one side or the other in this pivotal episode because i i get i rewound it i'm like because i expect you know if he he's because they did with uh russian hottie you know he gave a look to massey sorry massey miles should at least get that much where he looks at massey and is like sorry or I'm standing with you, or fuck you, Ed, or something. Everyone should just say fuck you, Ed, frankly. <laughs> that can be everyone's sign-off for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta say fuck you, Ed, every episode. Okay, again, so I've let's... Never been, like, <laughs> let's move on to Ed. Lord have Reading mercy. 
Reading between the lines, like I saw his talk about wanting Mars to be a colony as an admission, if not to anyone else, then at least to himself, that he knows he can't go back to Earth for health reasons. So just as Alex is doing better on Mars because of the lower gravity, Ed's tremor and other health issues will only be worsened on Earth. So do you guys agree or do you, does anyone have a different interpretation of Ed's motivations here? I think not to say that that's not a part of it because that might be an aspect, but from the way that Ed has been uh, acting, uh, the the disconnect that he has created between himself and Kelly and Alex, I think it it wouldn't surprise me. We're I'm setting a a toe into a speculation corner. Wild speculation. It wouldn't surprise me if we established that Ed, having lost Shane a long time ago, and then. Uh, and then losing Karen and then Danny, um, also Gordo, he's, I think it's possible that Ed has reached that point where he feels like he's lost everything. There's nothing left for him on earth. So might as well just stay on Mars because this is the last place where he felt important. As long as he was XO, he was technically important. Even if he was doing the job poorly, he had, he had power, he had position, he had respect. And if he goes back to earth, he's just going to be a grandfather for the rest of his, for the rest of his days. And Knowing Ed, that's not enough for him. So I think he decided I'm going to stay up here and I can just try to be important until I die, which makes the end of this episode interesting because now Dev has shown up and has said, I want to create exactly what you're looking for. I want to make this a place to live, not just a place to work. I want to make this a colony. I want to stay here forever. You want to stay here forever. Ed is going to latch onto that with everything he's got because Dev is going to be his, his way to stay on Mars forever, which is, which is what he wants. If he can convince Kelly and Alex to stay too, then, you know, cool. But I, I definitely think he's in a place where he will prioritize staying on Mars and being comfortable over being with his family, with the the remaining family he has left. I understand what everyone is saying about uh, his motivations for staying, but also like, what do we think about, you know, he was a shitty father to Shane. Then he seemed to make some amends with Kelly. But now he seems to be turning back to, like, he's ignoring Alex, you know, about putting Parmesan on his cheese. And, like, you know, already sort of asserting some toxic masculinity onto him and stuff. So, like, what is he so disconnected from them now? Does he care so little about them that he would just stay millions of miles away from them even though we've gotten the impression that maybe he's tried to make amends for his shitty parenting in the past that maybe he's going back to it does that make sense yes and i think the answer is multifaceted i have always argued that there is an element to ed's parenting where he treats boys and girls differently Mm -hmm. He very mm -hmm. much like yes. a boy is you got to suck it up and be a man. And a yeah. girl is my little princess. Yes. But there's also an element of Kelly's personality in that she has always been so accommodating and so receptive to whatever her parents throw at her that she essentially was the kid who never did anything wrong. If Ed had put Parmesan on Kelly's plate. Real Italian meals don't begin without the Parmesan cheese. That's always 100 percent Parmesan. When she was a little girl and she didn't want it, she would have sucked it up and just eaten it anyway and grown to like Parmesan. Craft 100% grated Parmesan cheese. Now you can eat. 
Whereas Alex is like, I don't like this. I like strawberries. I like bread. Oh no, what's that? I don't like cheese. And so he leaves the table because he was raised by a mother who's actually receptive to what he likes and doesn't like. Cheese, cheese, I don't like cheese. So that's why Alex reacted in that way. And Kelly does what she thinks her parents want her to do, regardless of what she wants. And that may or may not be genuinely what she wants. Mm -hmm. And and yes, there's also an element of Ed backsliding in his overall personality because he just like every time we think he has nothing left to lose, he loses something else. Mm -hmm. He at this point, he has lost everything except for Kelly and Alex. And now he's in the process of losing, losing Alex because he's never valued family over career. So mm-hmm. Scott, I think you're right that he wants to be important. Therefore he wants to make Mars important because he doesn't see anything for himself other than retirement back on earth. Whereas on Mars, mm-hmm. he can justify being, you know, the big fish because he's been there from the start. Yeah. Even and though this, that this, means potentially leaving what is left of his family on Earth unless they come to visit him on Mars. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Because who cares about his family? He's got Mars. He's yeah. got status there. And it justifies his his move to join the strikers. Because for the first time since he got to Mars, when he was relieved of his XO duties and his flight status was revoked, well, now I've got nothing. I'm not important. But then when he realizes, hey, I can join the strikers. And that I can be important to them because he didn't care about the lower deckers before. And and Danielle called him out on this. How often did you tell me that these guys, you know, don't deserve to be up here? They, mm-hmm. they, they aren't good enough. And all his only response was, "Don't try to make this about me," because he knew that she had an incredibly good point. So he just sidesteps. Don't make it about me. Talk about the the topic at hand. I mean, I don't really care about it, but it lets me be important. So I'm gonna pretend like it is. There's the same guy who just weeks before when Miles adjust his concerns to him he's like suck it up it takes a personal responsibility yeah <laughs> well let's not discount ed's other drive which is to shit on danielle whenever he can now because she she's become his number one devil and so anything she wants to happen he wants to make sure it doesn't right uh, i don't even think he you know he bought into the strike until he, i think he just saw that as, a, as another way to throw a wrench into the into danielle's plans 100 percent and I, I, what I can't tell about him now is if he's been saying this enough times that he's starting to buy it, or if he, or if the the strikers wanna wanna give in and he's not letting them. He, he's just it's it's so hard to tell where Ed is at now because he's he's kind of all over the place. He is absolutely not buying it. Ed, the worst thing in Ed's mind that you can be is a quitter. Cowards, quitters, that make me sick. Yeah, he doesn't care so much about them crossing the line and go back to work. It's more that they took a stand and then they backed down from it. So that makes you a quitter. That's the worst. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what stand you take. Ed doesn't particularly want power. He just wants freedom from consequences. Yeah. Which yeah, is not quite that's the same. That's true. It's not quite the same thing. All right, let's, uh, let's move on to Dev. Um, what are his motivations? So, like, what's his ultimate goal? And do you think that the Helios contracts earlier in the season when they were rewritten to be increasingly shitty was that done deliberately by dev to incense the workers so that he could then establish 
who is all in on Mars and who is just a fly-by-nighter? I hadn't thought of that, but that's, that. that's, I think it's entirely possible. So he could swoop in and be the hero. Exactly. Well, the exact phrase that I was thinking. One thing that I was confused, like genuinely confused about is he goes and addresses the troops, as it were, you know, talking about, you know, how, how we can do these great things. And like, nobody's mad at him. Like he's the, he's the leader of the company of the company that is giving them the shitty contracts. And they're not like, Hey man, can you fix this for us? Like you have the power here. Like nobody, nobody really talks about that. And that to me was, I literally had that thought, like, why is no one yelling at him right now? And in that's, the, that's been the, the problem with the whole negotiation is Helios is the cause of it, yet nobody seems to be mad at Helios. In in the same way that Ed showed up for the first time with the contracts in hand to the strike meeting and no one was like, hey, Helios bigwig, what the hell is your problem? Why are you screwing us over? No one was mad at him that he immediately signed up for what he was selling. In the same way, Dev walks into the room and says, hey, how about this, guys? You go back to work and I'll give you some more money. And all of them, they're not mad at him. They just... They just follow the same way they followed Ed when he walked into the room. John, John says, put something in the chat and he says, not mad at Dev because we've established his charisma stats are off the charts. He does like he he's a good he's a good speaker. He's a very motivational. That is the part of this episode that I think was really well done was everything with Dev that he came in so nonchalant. And he came in and immediately established a bond with the workers by saying that, you know, he respects the stand they took and, you know, he, he respects them, but, you know, you, we can't do this because of this. And yet here I am and I'm going to offer you this amazing thing, which is actually not even that amazing of a thing. Like last week, Kevin talked about how, you know, a realistic thing for Helios or whoever to do would just be like, okay, workers, because again, there's only like a hundred of them. Offer them each $5 million dollars that's nothing for Helios. And mm -hmm. Dev barely offered them a million. And they only get a million if they cross that line. And so Dev's motivations, it's not about keeping these workers. He doesn't give a shit about them. And in his conversation with Ed later on, he displayed such dripping disdain for them. He was like, he basically said that these people are the garbage on the bottom of his shoe. And all he cares about is establishing who's going to be on team dev mm -hmm. basically who's going to be with him to make mars whatever it is he envisions mars as being so i like at least that the show is being consistent with dev you know from the start i've been saying this guy is toxic he's a narcissist mm -hmm. and he is charismatic so i understand why the people on the show and why viewers like dev but for me, he's the most dangerous, frightening individual because I've known people like that in real life. And let me tell you, they will fucking destroy you as soon as they think you're not on their side. And that's what's happening here. You know, he's maybe offering these people that stupid payday, but that's basically him destroying them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. John, well, John has, a, has a comment relating to that. He, he says... They're not seeing him as the guy who caused the problem, but the guy who solved it. And he, Which, he knows exactly what he's doing. He walks in to solve the problem, knowing that they they won't uh, they're, they're not going to paint him as the person who who uh, changed their contracts or were giving them less money, screwed them out of their bonuses because he came in 
and save the day with money. I have two he questions about the rules don't apply to him. And that just irks me to no end. Yeah. Why was why was Massey? I know I know Ed was just pissed because his plan was getting thwarted. But I thought Massey all along was about we're just not getting paid. Well, you know, we're not we're not getting enough money. So Dev coming in saying, all right, here's the money. Why was he so why was everybody so shocked when everyone else went? That's why we're here. We're going. <laughs> yeah. And yes, she was. I agree. She was even arguing. Sam was arguing to stop the strike. She was ready to give in on that at the beginning of that scene, wasn't it? Against Ed, she was saying, like, this has gone on too long. People have died. Nothing changes. We keep the pressure on. The pressure Jennings is dead. This has gone too far. Oh, yeah. Too much. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, she's against the quick resolution to the strike. Yeah, the I other- agree. Because she, the whole time, she was saying, you know, we want... I mean, basically, Dev addressed all their demands, the the safety, the, you know, increased pension, the bonus. And he was basically giving everything they had asked for. So why wouldn't anyone cross that line? It may, in fact, have been just because he did put down a line. The fact that he instigated the idea that they had to divide. What's more important, some abstract notion of togetherness or is it your families back home? And so because she was, you know, perceiving herself as like leader of this group, she couldn't buckle, I guess. Yeah. But right, there's some comments in the chat that he says Massey was holding out to keep the asteroid at Mars. She's an idealist. Dev realistically said it wouldn't happen. And also pouring sugar on the floor was a flex. He could have used chalk. The point was to underline that this rare, precious thing on Mars, sugar, is nothing to him. He may as well have just drawn the line with diamonds. Agreed. Yeah. I wondered why it was sugar too. Because you know, sand is coarse and gets into everything. I don't like sand. It's coarse, rough and irritating. And it gets everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) The other question I have is, I know Dev has pretty much ultimate power over Helios policy and stuff like that. He has the power to negate a manslaughter slash murder charge. Oh, yeah. The whether immunity, he, whether he does or not, he would promise it. Yeah, true. Yeah. Because like the, the woman who took the, the, the regulator as she crossed the line, she said to Massey immunity because, you know, she's the one who's going to go down if it becomes, you know, if there's yeah. a criminal charge there. Okay, John says, yes, he's wealthy, I guess. Yeah, indeed. I mean, everything does come down to money. Yeah, even if he doesn't actually have the power to offer immunity, he can just pay off whatever. Yeah, he'll he'll go to NASA and Roscosmos and say, yeah, someone died. Oh, wait, it, it was multiple people? Multiple people died. Okay, let's just settle this out of court. I'll just throw money at the problem. Exactly. To me, like over the course of the show, it seems like, I, at least I was hopeful for like, you know, it's going to be a better future with everyone working together and all of this scientific exploration. And then, no, it becomes about who owns what and class structures. And it's just more of the same. And that I find that a little bit disheartening. Like I would have hoped in this alternate timeline that doesn't exist, that maybe things would be more cooperative. It wouldn't be as capitalistic and, and cutthroat and that kind of thing. And that's just something I had noticed over like. I do you want your utopia? You go watch Star Trek. To boldly go where no man has gone before. 
Okay. I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's yeah. That's basically what I was gonna say as well. Where it's like this show has never been presented as a utopia. Like, yes, it's in some ways you could argue, oh, it's a better timeline than our own. But in other ways, it's you know, it's still humans. It's still Earth. Well, yeah. I mean, like there had been there had been a lot of cooperation between the seemingly competing organizations, like you know, how they all got to Mars and had to work together to survive. And like that sort of camaraderie seems to have vanished as the the base has grown and like more outside elements come in. Like, I understand what's happening. I'm just kind of like, oh, I wish it it would have stayed a little bit more like that. But we, I, realize, we have, I realize that's not this show. I'm just saying. <laughs> we have discussed that this season about how it's it has been less about Mars and more about workers' rights and stuff. And and we mm-hmm. would really like it to get back to being more about Mars and, and space stuff. I have a suspicion that next season will be more about Mars if Dev does what I think he's doing. Do we know if there will be a next season? I know that they the, the producers and writers are planning it or have planned it. I don't know if Apple has renewed it. Mm-hmm. But I know that if Apple gives the go-ahead, then they're ready to go. Yeah. I'm of two minds because on the one hand, I, I'm with you, Virginia, in terms of like, I do like my science fiction to be aspirational. I like that as- mm-hmm. aspect mm-hmm. of Star Trek. <laughs> And I, what I like about Moonshow, or to avoid ambiguity, I, what I like about For All Mankind. Is that it, or it was aspirational as well as realistic? Because, you know, Star Trek mm-hmm, has mm-hmm. Bas- no basis in realism whatsoever. Like, no. It's just pure allegory. But For All Mankind... It has things to say, but it's, it also can be read just as like a straight up narrative, straight up drama. Mm-hmm. And it was presenting a world like slightly better than ours. You know, technical advances coming a little bit earlier, you know, equal rights coming a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. but it's still being grounded in, you know, humanity with all its foibles. Right. And so I agree that this season is is leaning perhaps a bit too much towards the foibles side of things. And I agree, I don't love that. Mm-hmm. But I'm willing to go with that. Like, I don't mind them having awful characters. Like, you know, I've said that, you know, I think Dev is a terrible person. That doesn't mean I don't want to see him on screen. I think mm-hmm. he's very compelling because he is so realistic, because he is so awful. Yeah, definitely. But, but what does upset me about the show is when the storylines that they're trying to tell just don't make sense. Mm -hmm. And so I have no problem with them presenting a a dystopia on Mars. That's fine. But make it realistic. Make it add up. And basically what they're doing this season, it just doesn't add up. That's, I was about to say, that's not how the real world works. Because as, you know, we argued last week, uh, you know, if these problems were arising, you know, this is how they would solve them. They basically would throw money at the strikers. Um, you know, and then I caught myself because I'm like, okay, well, it's not the real world. It's an alternate world, blah, blah, blah. But it's always been presented as 
you know, not so alternate that, right, you know, the, the basic, yeah, the basic rules of, you know, the way companies work are not different. And so uh, I'm just, I'm just reiterating. I'm, I'm a. What's Sorry if I took y'all down a road that John already <laughs> hashed out. I, I hate that I'm just like repeating myself so often and, and complaining so much. But, you know, since I am complaining so much, here's more. <laughs> Don't tell me to Does it make sense that Margot is being sent back to America? God, it, 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 ugh. I hate saying America because Canadians don't refer to the States as America. But I realize that like almost 99% of the listeners to the show are American. Okay, does it make sense that Margot's being sent back to Houston? I understand the argument that the Russians want to wave her under the president's nose. But would the Americans agree to give her diplomatic immunity? Like real traitors aren't treated that way, are they? I don't think that the diplomatic immunity is a thing. I think that the Soviets and the Americans have come to an agreement to turn Margot back over to the Americans and being held accountable here. Yeah, I th- I think, obviously, I don't know the particulars, but I think it's some kind of setup where uh, she's going to get double-crossed by the Russians. I'm not anti-Russian. I'm just anti-Russian in this show. <laughs> See, that's that's one way in which the real world actually is better than for all mankind world. Right? Is that Mm. in for all mankind, Russia's still communist, whereas, you know, here, the Berlin Wall fell in the 80s. Yeah. So that's a stark contrast. But I, I also wondered, Virginia, if like, if this wasn't just a setup so that you could have Margot come back to the States and interact with Aleda and whatever, if it, there was something more to it, that either, yeah, either Arena is is now double-crossing Margot or Margot is now going to double-cross Arena, I have to assume that there's more going on there. Yeah, I don't think it's as simple as, as they're laying out. Did I anyone... feel like I'm dominating the conversation. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Carry Did anyone on. expect Irina to go, I'm altering the deal, pray I don't alter it any farther? <laughs> Total Darth Vader vibes. <laughs> I am altering the deal, pray I don't alter it any further. It's exactly <laughs> what I thought she was going to say. Word. Mm. Yes, word for word. <laughs> it's an interesting thought, Virginia. I'm just not sure what would the end game be? Where would, where would the Soviets benefit being rid of Margot? I'm wondering if there's some like some sort of espionage benefit like i don't know i'm saying i haven't really thought it through it was just like this seems too cut and dry to me maybe the russians haven't yet told margo or maybe they have maybe their plan is to get margo back to the states to continue her espionage efforts mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i mean I don't want to get too far into Scott's speculation corner. Wild speculation. So I'll, I'll leave that alone for now. I'm sure the, the show will. And I mean, there's what? There's only like three episodes left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're going to have to wrap this up. So we'll, we'll get answers soon, I'm sure. Well, I'm calling my shot. Like, baby. All right. <laughs> double cross. <laughs> yeah. In one direction or the other, there's going to be some double crossing. Unless Marco has uh, been an asset for the for the 
CIA all along and was playing the long game. Who do y'all think are the assets in Happy Valley? Pretty Boy is definitely the KGB guy. Yeah. Pretty Okay. The the, Uh, the guy that was hitting on Massey. Yeah, the the good-looking guy who was into Massey. That makes sense. Ilya might be one. I don't feel like they've shown enough of the American workers up there for us to be able to identify the CIA guy. It's probably someone who's never been on screen before. Mm. One thought with um, Ilya, or not Ilya. um, (laughs) Ilya. Yes, thank you. Ilya. Um, They kept the camera on him. They kept showing him and his, his reaction shot during Dev's speech. You know, is there something more with him that they kept looking they kept showing him there. Maybe, you know, maybe he is that other asset. Maybe he's got something else mm. he needs to have to get back to work, basically. I don't know. It, they just, they kept looking at him. And yeah, yes. I know he's been a, a main character, but it was almost excessive for that. Well, and indeed, it's significant that they kept showing him and not Miles. So again, for me, the implication is that Miles was not in that room and Ilya was. So yeah, e- either they're saying, "Oh, Miles is dropping the ball," or Miles is off doing something else, or, and I assume they're going to address that next week. And if they don't, well, then they'll have another rant about how terrible the season has been. <laughs> and yeah, it could be that Ilya is KGB. It could be something else. I assume these questions will be answered, although maybe not. <sighs> now, think that uh, did throw me off. They, I didn't realize at first that in those strike meetings like the one with Dev, that pretty much everyone there was representing a group or like their staff. Uh, at first I got confused with some of the dialogue, uh, but then I could just make it out at the end when people were crossing the line, they were there saying, I'm representing this group of so many people. I didn't get that. So when the first Dev said the first hundred people to come over, one guy comes over and Dev says, all right, we've got 88 more. The first guy said, I rep, I rep 12 in like whatever department. So he's vouching for himself and 12 other people. Or I was wondering 11. why he said 88. That confused me. I didn't catch that. But okay. Mm, okay. Yeah. And I caught the representing so like this group. I caught that later as more people made their way over. I rep 12 at the field plan. Welcome. Thank you. I've got 88 more. Yeah. Another guy said, I represent 18 in, in fab. So that's himself and 17 others in fabrication i see okay. they've all okay. crossed the line just because the okay. one guy walked i didn't catch that okay thank you for clarifying okay so then that, there are more than just like 100 helios lower deckers yeah and that does explain i mean not very well but it does explain why miles you know we didn't see him he would have been represented by someone else but you know for second billing he should have been there yeah well, which is why, to me, it was significant that he wasn't. It, it To me, it means something. Like, that was not an oversight, as far as I'm concerned. I, I feel like that's going to be addressed next week, that he was off doing something else. Yeah, let us hope. All right. Anything? God, I just said, let's hope we see more of Miles. <laughs> <laughs> what is this show doing to me? <laughs> All right, I have one more question that... Uh, I hope will be inflammatory. Does anyone care about Aleda anymore? Because uh, she was doing some objectively outrageous things in this episode, like flipping off the newscasters, storming into Eli's office. But that's just Aleda being Aleda, and I'm unfazed. 
I so, enjoyed watching her lose it on on the TV. That was funny. Yeah, well, so that's basically part of my question. Like, are you still shocked by her behavior? Are you still interested? Are you amused? Like, how do you how do you take her behavior? If she disappeared off the show next week, I might not notice. I mean, it, it, unless they're going to have her do something really major right now, she's just kind of on autopilot. She's just there yeah. to be a, a person. Because, like, basically, for me, indeed, like, her behavior is so outsized that it just doesn't even register anymore. So, like, when I was initially, you know, conceiving of of this uh, podisode, writing my questions, I, like, I forgot about her entirely, even though she objectively did some pretty crazy stuff. But, like, it just... So, like, in a sense, my, my you know, more... Um, my bigger question... or perhaps a bit of a tangent is like, do you know anyone like that in real life who, whose behavior is so big, so outrageous that it doesn't even register. And like, anytime they do anything that like from someone else, you'd be like, Oh my God, this is crazy. From this person, you're just like, okay, whatever. I mean, I can think of a few like really overly dramatic family members that it's just like, Oh, yeah, they're gone. Okay, whatever. Yeah, let's go back to playing Monopoly or whatever. I think I, I don't know if that that's person. if that's answering your question, though. I'm, I'm going to sort of tie it back into Dev because, you know, I've mentioned many times I I know a few actual narcissists. I don't just mean people who are a bit selfish or a bit self-involved. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I mean, people who are like, you know, pathological in their behaviors. Mm -hmm. And their behaviors are sort of like that. It's extremely destructive, cruel even. But every time it happens, it just rolls off my back and I'm just like, yep, there's that person being that person. Whereas I've also interacted with people like that in a work setting, like where they were my boss, basically. And that's something that you can't let roll off your back because... It affects you. Like if it's someone you just know in life, if it's a friend, you can just stop being friends with them. Mm -hmm. But when it's your boss, like you can't escape from that. And basically I had no choice in my real life. The only way I could escape was to quit. And this person, this narcissist wasn't even my direct boss, but they basically just, I don't know, now it's me being overdramatic. Like they basically crushed the souls of everyone beneath them. And then those people it affected them so much that they ended up crushing the people beneath them and so on and so on and so on down to like the, you know, the smallest ant in, in the colony that everyone ended up being completely destroyed. And so that's why I keep, you know, warning everyone, like watch out for dev, watch out for dev. Whereas Aleda for me is more of someone whose outrageous behavior you can ignore because even though it's, you could call it destructive or call it, uh, you know, unhinged or whatever. I don't feel like it really hurts other people. I feel like the person Aleda hurts the most is herself. Mm. John put in the chat. Um, I didn't see anything super outrageous. It's about what Aleda did. She stormed off. She stormed off a hostile interview and burst into an office with a legitimate complaint. By the way, she didn't flip any tables. My my thought on Elena is at this point, she's been through so much that I'm looking at her behavior 
I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a clinician, but I'm looking at it as like, okay, is this in response to like her anger at Margot coming? Like, I'm looking at it through that lens more than like, she's like a puzzle I'm trying to figure out rather than a character I'm following. Does that yes, make sense? I, I see what you're yeah. saying because, mm -hmm. and you're absolutely right. You know, she she doesn't actually care about the newscaster and she even said as much when her husband was trying to reassure her. She's like, I don't care about that. She cares about Margot. And that's why she was upset. The, the thing that stuck out for me the most uh, about Alayda in this episode was while she's at home with the family, all gathered around to watch the interview. One, she was there. She knows how the interview went. I don't know why she would want the family to see that. And yeah. second, she will drop an F-bomb loud and proud in front of her husband and the kids. But then once the bleeped profanity starts showing up on TV, she is scrambling for that remote so they don't hear it. That just didn't make sense to me at all. The, the implication to me, because later on in the kitchen, her husband is like, oh, yeah. And then when you flipped her off and she was like, I did. I think she like almost not blacked out, but like it's all a blur to her. She barely remembers what happened because she was so angry. Mm -hmm. And so rewatching it, she wasn't 100 percent sure what happened. And so once mm -hmm. it started to go off the rails, she's like, OK, I'm going to turn this off. I don't even think she was trying to like prevent her family from seeing it. I think she was trying to prevent herself from seeing it yeah mm. that's an interesting point yeah that's fair i'll be interested to see what happens once her and Margot get in the same room as representatives of what they're doing and how that will work because i mean obviously they've been in the same room and and had their moment but i mean in a professional setting agreed i did think that alita had mellowed a bit um had gotten more control over herself um and kind of you know had gotten past some of that that off-the-cuff emotional responses and that this is a sign of re regressing to that behavior as probably going to tie into that PTSD she had. I mean, that the PTSD led to her leaving NASA, still affected by what went on with the explosion and with Margot. And she really seemed to get hit when they either when the newscaster either implied or just asked you know did you really have no idea that she was you know being a traitor and she was spying for uh the russian it probably hit her because remember she had her suspicion mm. there, there's probably going to be some kind of look at at how she is going back and she's falling oh. into those behaviors and if uh, I, I had the closed captioning on when i watched and during that interview when when the anchor asked, did you really have no idea? She was about to answer. She was about to say that she had suspicions, but she didn't actually know. She only got as far as, well, I had, and then the the host started talking over. So she didn't have a chance to finish the answer, but she was about to say, I had my suspicions. So I, luckily for her, she didn't say that whole thing because that would have turned into a, a, a whole nother mess. Mm -hmm. I think with her behavior over like last episode and this episode, whatever happens with Margot in, in the U S whether the immunity is a hoax or if it's revoked and she ends up being taken into custody by uh, U S law enforcement, Aleda is going to have a part in that. Or if Margot gets there and once she has the chance, she says, Hey, I want to come back. Can someone help me? She's going to be at, I, I think I speculated this before. Wild speculation. She's going to ask Aleda to help her come home. And this is going to give her the perfect opportunity. So we're going to see how Mark, how Aleda reacts to 
having some influence over what happens to Margot now that she's in Houston. I, I would be surprised if Margot goes back to Russia one way or another. I, I think she's going to end up going nowhere. I'm interested to see what they do with that. Agreed. All right. I feel like this episode has been too much of, you know, yelling and complaining. Don't tell me to Does anyone have anything else to, uh, anything positive to say about this episode? Uh, I, I like that Alex didn't hesitate to call Ed out on being shit. I don't like cheese. Yeah, that's it. Like like I said earlier, I, I like that Alex just left the table. You know, you could say it's a kid being petulant, but I like that. I mean, it was his way of standing up for himself. I like that. Yeah. I also like that Alex was not immediately receptive to Ed. You know, and Kelly's like, well, here's Poppy. And... And Alex is like shy and reticent. And it's because, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a child's way of saying like, fuck you, basically. Have they, I don't think Ed and Alex had ever met in person prior to this meeting, right? Because Ed had not gone back to Earth this whole time. He's been on Mars the whole time and she gave birth on Phoenix. Yeah, that's I, a good point. I thought Ed did go back. They had the whole crew rescued. Right. Yes, so Ed did briefly go back to Earth. Mm-hmm. Right, the, right, right, right. Because the, the the little snippets at the, before the season even began of the you know this is what happened in the in between. There's that newspaper clipping of all of the Happy Valley people minus mm-hmm. Danny the Lesser, you know, being yeah so called rescued. But Alex would not remember that. Alex would have been so right. young at that point mm-hmm. that, as far as Alex knows, the only relationship he's had with Grandpa is like through um, you know video calls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mommy, I miss Poppy. Oh, Poppy sucks. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else to mention about this episode? Let's just hope this is a, a launching point, pardon the pun, for something good. Because if this is the direction the show is going. Well, you've been saying that all season. Right? I have. This and is I have direction. If this is the direction, if this is the direction, there's only three episodes left. This is the season. <laughs> but yeah, but, but uh, yeah, I, I, and I've I've been saying all along that I'm not particularly pleased with this saga. But the writing has never been sloppier than this episode. Don't tell me to but the 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 sloppiness of this one, I think, was especially egregious because we expect better from this show. Yeah. Yeah, John is saying that they're going to, whatever it is that Dev has planned is going to work so that the show can stay on Mars. And then, you know, next season will be more, more about actual Mars issues. But uh, I don't even know if I, if I'm even still in support of that, because if you're going to have a show be about Mars, then it has to be about the difficulties of being on Mars. And so I guess I liked the beginning of this episode with, you know, the, the Helios strikers destroying all the spacesuits or, or, you know, putting them outside because that's a very Mars specific thing. That's not something mm-hmm. that would work on earth. But does anyone have something positive to say about this episode so we can end on a good note? Alex is a cutie. He's a cute little kid. <laughs> he is. He's adorable. Again, I just, I just, Love Margot's southern accented Russian. Yeah. <laughs> I can't get enough it's, of that. It's so funny. 
I liked her laughing at the other guy at the Roscosmos table when he's like, you know, yeah. dad is just doing stuff for the American government. Margo's like, no, that's not Deb. <laughs> I did like, I was surprised I didn't make more of this in, in the scene, but she specifically called out one of the, one of the technicians or, or one of the uh, researchers, the, the, the woman who, who ran the calculations Ooh. and did a good job. And she makes sure to spotlight her in that meeting in front of everyone. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I like that too. I think that's two things. Like, well, Margot else- genuinely appreciates other people who are other engineers who are good at their jobs, but it could also be her trying to find like a new Aleda, like a new protege sort of thing. Rick, you were going to say something? Oh, just another another nice thing. It, it was a, a, a directorial slash writing slash performance. They showed Margot going to work, still limping, but dressed nice more nicely. And, you know, an echo of, the you know, of her walking through before and nobody would even make eye contact with her. But now mm-hmm. it's like, good morning, Miss Madison. Good morning, Miss Madison. There was a it was that there was a nice echo of that scene. Yeah. And the fact that that she's being addressed now by her by her real name, her real rather name, rather yeah. than her. Yeah. And uh, right. Yeah. Name. Yeah. And, and John is mentioning that he likes uh, Eli. And, and I I did like Eli in this episode as well. I thought he was measured. He's always been pretty um reasonable mm-hmm. and i like that he he didn't bat an eye at the idea of margot coming back i thought that was interesting that mm-hmm. you know i feel like a more typical reaction would be Alayda's reaction of like you know this is terrible whereas eli was like he's much more reasonable he's just like yeah well you know but she's a good engineer so and so he was very welcoming of her coming back because he's like we need her to do this thing great yeah and, and, and he was also pretty when they the two people were telling him, "Oh yeah, we have assets on the moon or on Mars," he's like, "No, we're, I'm not going to institute martial law on Mars." No, that's very mm-hmm. like. Even though he was very like forceful, it was also very. It's it's a reasonable thing to say, I think. Yeah. Like no martial law on Mars. Done. Yeah, because we all remember what happened when things went badly on the moon. And mm-hmm. everyone, and it, which brought he brought up, up. yeah. So, martial law on Mars. <laughs> John says, "Shout out to the line, martial law on Mars." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, if there's nothing else to discuss, we will wrap it up. Virginia, what have you got to promote? You can find me on the Infinite Potato Alliance Network at Wait, You've Still Never Seen, um, a podcast where I'm joined by a guest. We talk about movies or TV shows that one of us has not seen. We're still doing our River Song series, but also sprinkling a few like random movies in there as well. And Rick, what have you got to plug? Uh, you can find me on that Star Trek podcast and on uh, Cosmic Potato and of course here on Moon Show and occasionally on Captain Game Show. Uh, and just remember, folks, it's the holiday season. Be especially nice to the people who have to work when you're out trying to get those last minute goodies and, uh, and stay safe on New Year's. And tip extra. And yeah, absolutely. But only tip if you know the tip is going to the employee and not management. A lot That's of true. places will, you know, the, they expect you to tip. But if you actually ask the employee, hey, do you get to keep this tip? Sometimes the answer is no. Tip cash. They can always tipping cash is a good way to make sure that uh, or to help ensure that they get to keep at least some of it. Good to know. Anyway, Tom, tell <laughs> us about your new podcast. Oh, uh, that new podcast is uh, 
what's your head canon where we answer the questions the writers couldn't be bothered with and i thought we could have like several episodes or bonus episodes just from this podcast of moon show so <laughs> could have playing that one out a little better uh we've got one episode released uh a few more coming but holidays make things difficult so we'll be coming back in the new year and scott uh, what have you got you can find me various places here on this network uh cosmic potato captain game show what's your head cannon and as the host of that star trek podcast coming soon in uh likely january maybe february a special engagement a one-time return of the prime direction hmm. no more details than that that's all you get prime Ooh, direction is coming maybe. back for a very special episode the beginning of the new year and if you don't want to hear me talk about stuff you can see the graphic art that i do for fun and profit at www.planetrisecreative.com uh also on the facebook group planet rise creative see the uh current advent project that i'm working on a star trek themed image being released every day sort of throughout this month up until christmas and a special shout out in case they're listening to the one person that is consistently liked every post on the Planet Rise Creative website. I'm looking at you, dirty sci-fi Buddha. He's always there for me. <laughs> and as for me, I'm a regular panelist on that Star Trek podcast, and I make occasional appearances on Cosmic Potato and Captain Game Show. Just last night, we recorded a holiday edition <laughs> of Captain Game Show with John. And you can find my weekly recaps of Star Trek episodes at superanemic.com. And there's still time to enter the holiday giveaway. You could win nine For All Mankind mission patches. Just give this podcast a five-star rating and then head to facebook.com slash superanemic and write your name in the comments. And with that, we say bye, Bob. Bye, Bob. Bye, Bob. Bye, Bob. Fuck you, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> Because we both want the same thing, to never go back. You don't know. I know that was painful. Believe me, I know. To see how driven they all were by self-interest, by greed. It would be funny if it wasn't so predictable. But the strike, for all its inconveniences, it wound up being a blessing. Because a few of you, you showed just how much you believe in your cause. How much that you would sacrifice for something greater than yourselves. What the fuck are you talking about? I'm talking about the future, Ed. About taking what is rightfully ours. You can't be serious. Do you want to help me steal an asteroid? Thank you for listening to Moon Show, a For All Mankind podcast on the Infinite Potato Alliance. For more great shows, please go to infinitepotato.com. Our theme music is Small Victory by Steve Combs, used under a Creative Commons attribution license. You can find more of his music at freemusicarchive.org slash music slash Steve underscore Combs. I like ice cream. I like grapes. I like pasta. It tastes great. I like pizza. I like beans. Oh no, what's that? I don't like cheese.
Yeah? You'd screw your own sister for a slice of cheese. I don't even like cheese. That makes it even worse, you sick bastard.